0: The question is, is do women struggle with intermittent fasting, fasting or low-carb diets, uh, more so than men? Well, the answer might surprise you. What to do in and around these topics that I just mentioned, I think will surprise you as well. But uh, this expert has 6 million views on her TED Talk. And after this interview, you're going to see why. Welcome to Cellular Healing TV. I'm Ashley Smith, and today we welcome nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. She
1: is here today to talk about intermittent fasting in women, especially regarding weight loss, and we'll uncover reasons why we need to consider hormones, sleep, and self-care to optimize results. Cynthia is a globally recognized expert in
0: nutrition and intermittent fasting. And her TEDx talk on intermittent fasting has been viewed nearly 6 million times, which is incredible. So I cannot
1: wait for this. Let's get started and welcome Cynthia Thurlow and, of course, Dr. Pompa to the show. Welcome, both of you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, this is going to be such a great conversation. One of my favorite topics, right? But you know, let's, let's go right after it. I mean, you know, <laughs> let's face it. Uh, you know, women, if we would really, and I've polled audiences, I'm sure like you have, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's kind of this unspoken thing, uh, especially in the world of ketosis and low carb and fasting. And, you know, it's like, how many women struggle uh, more so than you feel your husbands or boyfriends or men in your life? And, you know, the hands go up. So Cynthia, obviously, there's something real here, but yet people don't talk about it. So, you know, why is it more challenging for women than men?
1: Well, I mean it, I, I would say that uh, when I'm speaking in groups or you know even within my own programs, the one thing that's consistent is women have cycling hormones. We are not consistent day to day, eight hour to hour, and we're much more sensitive to the stressors that we experience in our personal lives. So whereas you know men can you know jump into the intermittent fasting pond, if you will, like yeah. a duck to water. Women, it's not always that easy. Now, I do find there, there are definitely women that as soon as they clean up their diets and they you know, are, are mindful of the, the quality of foods that they're eating and they're, they're sleeping well, then they can easily do it. But more often than not, there's a lot of flexibility that needs to be stressed. I have to remind people that um, there's no one size fits all philosophy that they may need to change their strategy around the time of their cycle. If they're postmenopausal or their perimenopausal goodness, uh, things get much more interesting at that stage of life. So I find that the women that that have the easiest transition are the ones that are a little less hard on themselves. I think rigidity as it applies to uh, intermittent fasting as a strategy is oftentimes a recipe for disaster. So I remind, I'm sure you probably have patients like this the people who over exercise they're super restrictive with their diet and then they're really rigid about their dogma mm-hmm. as it pertains to intermittent fasting are the ones that particular personality type that i feel like they're the ones that really they're so focused on whatever that that goal is generally weight loss that they they almost they mm-hmm. they almost undo all the good that they're doing by being so rigid
0: yeah no i i find the same thing obviously i talk about it in my book and you had sent me a, a text uh, saying, you know, gosh, why don't more people talking about this? Yes. I was talking about weekly diet variation, monthly changing mm-hmm. it around your cycle, yeah. um, and how that's more needed for women, mm-hmm. um, and you know, you you resonated right to it because you see the same problem I see, obviously. So yeah. let's be clear we're both saying that fasting, intermittent fasting, low-carb is possible for women. Mm-hmm. However, there needs to be changes made. So we'll, we'll discuss more of those in a minute. But I, mm-hmm. I almost want to back up a second because we have new viewers oftentimes. They're like, intermittent what? So yeah. just, give a, <laughs> just give a brief explanation. I, I couldn't help but jump right in because you know of your TED Talk and your knowledge around intermittent fasting. But what is intermittent fasting and, what, and even why does why is people, so many people attracted to it?
1: Well, I mean, intermittent fasting is not something that's new or novel. I mean, it's been around since Plato, Hippocrates and biblical times. So I'd like to remind people that it's the way our bodies are designed to work. We spend more time in a fasted state when we're not eating. It's that simple than we do when we're eating. But yeah. in our over kind of overconsumption culture that we live in, you know i think the average american i read a statistic the other day they're consuming either a sugar sweetened beverage or food 16 to 17 times a day and that's not the way our bodies are designed to thrive so really intermittent fasting is periods of time when you're not eating and periods of time when you're eating and the the emphasis is on more fasting and less feasting and it's really that simple i think people are attracted to it because now it seems novel it seems new you know, over the last I'd say five or ten years, you're seeing more and more people in the media and healthcare providers as well that are utilizing it as a strategy. And I would argue that it is one of the most important strategies that we should be using with our patients because we don't need more pills, uh, we don't need more procedures. What we need are strategies that people can uh, embrace throughout their lifetime and and be able to do that uh, and feel empowered. I think that's really critical as well. We don't. We don't want to feel like everything that, that we're doing with our bodies needs to, right. um, you know, needs to have an ICD-10 code on it.
0: Yeah. To- well, I mean, you, you said hormones play a big role in why women might you know, have more difficulty adapting yeah. to this way of eating. Uh, right? It doesn't make it wrong for them. It just, Mm -hmm. you know, makes it maybe perhaps they need some different strategies. So let's discuss those, Mm -hmm. you know, and one of the big ones that I I know you discuss a lot about is sleep, right? It's like, obviously sleep impacts our hormones. How does this uh, impact a woman in low carb or intermittent fasting and what can they do about it more importantly,
1: Yeah. Well, I I oftentimes will remind women, if I can't get you to sleep, I can't get you to lose weight. So sleep is absolutely positively one of the first things we will discuss. Um, If a woman is sleeping well and she starts doing intermittent fasting and is low carbing, it's now a verb in my mind, uh, low carbing and she suddenly starts to struggle with sleep, that's a, a reminder that we need to dial in. What are the macros like? you know, are you eating enough calories, protein and healthy fats during the day? Are you uh, being mindful of where you are in your menstrual cycle? Are you dialing in on stress? Because we know that people can wake up uh, either in the middle of the night because their adrenals are stressed, maybe their blood sugar's low, uh, could be for so many reasons, or people are so, uh, you know, so engaged in electronics before they go to bed, they don't have good sleep hygiene. And uh, that can be really challenging for women throughout their lifetime. But I see cycling women, that can oftentimes be the reason. And then perimenopause and menopause is a whole other situation where I sometimes will find is women are having more fluctuating levels of progesterone relative to estrogen. They can start to struggle with sleep. Um, You know, it could be from insulin resistance. There's so many issues that can drive that. So I always look at it as, are you sleeping before you start intermittent fasting? If the answer is yes, then intermittent fasting is a go. If you're not sleeping before you start intermittent fasting, then we have to dial in on that first, because you know intermittent fasting is a, is considered to be a hormetic stressor, a healthy stressor. But if you've already got too much stress, adding more gasoline yeah. to the fire is not beneficial. Yeah. So really looking at those things, and and I again I want to emphasize if you aren't sleeping, you can't lose weight, and that can be related to a variety of things, but a lot of it can be blood sugar, insulin resistance, can also be re- relevant to um, you know, that balance of ghrelin and leptin, which is the appetite satiety cues, which I know I always remind people, I'm like when I had babies and I was breastfeeding and I was up all night long, you know, or it seemed like I was up all night long, what did I crave in the morning? It wasn't broccoli, I craved sugar. And yeah. so I remind people that if you're not sleeping well, you're not gonna crave uh, high quality foods.
0: So, I mean, you, you said something that's so true. There's a lot of different reasons why you're not sleeping mm-hmm. well, whether you can't get to sleep or wake up in the middle of the night, can't get back to sleep, mm-hmm. blood glucose to certain hormones, cortisol, mm-hmm. stress survival mechanism. Yeah. Okay. So with all that said, you know, all <laughs> my viewer wants to know is, what can I do about it? And you're going to yeah. say, well, it depends on the cause. So kind of go through some of the cause, um, you know, solution relationships. Yeah. So,
1: first and foremost, I I always start with the food piece. You know, if you're not getting enough calories in within your feeding window, maybe you're not getting two good sized meals during your your feeding window. And the last, the other piece with that is, you know, is your dinner. I mean, sometimes you have to adjust your macros, meaning your protein, fat, and carbohydrates. If you're low carb, I know for myself, I can kind of tell when I'm too low carb. I mean, I'm very attuned to how my body feels when I exercise and maybe I've gone a little too low carb and I need to liberalize things a little bit. So you know, being very mindful of how you're structuring your meals and sometimes people need to have at the end of their fasting feeding window, they need to have a little bit of a, I don't want to call it a fat bomb because it gives a connotation that it's dessert, but sometimes maybe you need to have a scoop of almond butter. Maybe you need to have a handful of nuts maybe you need to um you know have some you know something that's you know a little bit of protein before you get to bed so that you're ensuring that your body has plenty of fuel to be able to get through the night and and that can sometimes be an issue when people are first utilizing intermittent fasting as a strategy and they're not fully fat adapted so using fat for
0: fuel as opposed to sugar so that's number 1 yeah and, and let me just you know say something on that because you're right when people aren't fully fat adapted they're a healthy fat adapted person Mm -hmm. has the ability to burn fat through the night Mm -hmm. and therefore their brain gets plenty of energy Their you know Mm -hmm. their cells are getting plenty of energy if that's not the case your brain needs glucose freaks out throws cortisol up to get the glucose up and then of course you wake up but Mm -hmm. your body survived itself so to your point oftentimes doing something a little fattier before uh, bed or protein sometimes can get you through that night until you get healthier because toxins play a lot of role in that too. Yes, Why someone can't get really good fat adaption and they can't make it through a night. So to your point, that is an issue. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And sometimes I find that, you know, people are over exercising. They're not allowing themselves yeah. to have some downtime. I mean, those rest days when you're when you're working out, uh, you know, in a strenuous program are critical. And sometimes yeah. people are just their bodies are so worn out yes. that they're not going to be able to sleep properly. They've they've really just overtaxed their bodies. And and I think it's it's important that people kind of differentiate. They're honest with themselves. What's my food like? you know, how much activity did I do? How's my stress dialed in? I I use a really perfect example, you know, given COVID and social distancing over the past five plus months, um, I've seen people who normally have no issues with sleep that all of a sudden start to struggle with sleep. And a lot of it's cortisol. It's that survivalistic mechanism that you mentioned. People are fearful, you know, they're fearful. Am I going to be able to get to the grocery store? What's going to go with my kids? What's going on with my job? I mean, just baseline survivalistic mechanisms. So you know, that stress piece has to be, you know, managed. And I sometimes it can be as easy as, you know, do you get off of electronics? Are you um, meditating before bed? And I used to think that was really woo woo and silly, but there's real sound reasoning, how important that is making sure that in the morning you're getting light exposure, making sure that you're not on electronics before bed, making sure your room is cold and dark. If it gets really sexy and you have to wear a sleep mask like I do, I'm of that stage of life. I wear a sleep mask to keep all the light out. That can be beneficial. And then, you know, I just say we start to layer things in. Like there are specific um, adaptogenic herbs that can be helpful with, you know, helping to kind of decompress before bed or having herbal tea or things that, you know, aren't going to mess up your fasting window, but can be beneficial. And so I, I think it really dials into, you know, sleep you know, the, the self-care piece, which I know you're, you're a fan of that, that uh, terminology, but really looking at that in the food piece, that's usually where I start. That's typically where I start. And then I want to lastly just add in um, the hormone piece that depending where someone is in their cycle, that can absolutely influence, uh, you know, how well their sleep quality is. As, as upsetting as that can be, people say, I sleep really well until the week before I get my period. And then all things are, things are completely different.
0: Well, and that's one of the things in my book I talk about, You know, the need for changing the diet oftentimes right before your cycle, mm-hmm. whether it's high carbs or high protein. You know, There's a lot of different hormone conversions mm-hmm. and transitions that are being made and therefore different needs. And oftentimes five days of either high healthy carbs mm-hmm. or protein, depending on the person, is the magic. And then the rest of the month, it can really change you. And sleep's one of the things that we notice – is a big game changer for people. Mm-hmm. You you found similar things.
1: Absolutely, and mm-hmm. I think it's also important for people to understand that you know we, we take sleep for granted until it's not working properly. And so <laughs> I always say, no, I'm oh. serious. I never thought about really? sleep until exactly. I was in my 40s. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what is this? You know, why all of a sudden is it? I feel like it's a dog and pony show to make sure that my sleep's ratcheted in. But I, but I use sleep as a barometer to really determine. You know what's going on. How well are we doing? You know, it's not related to like a celebration where you're excited, but the day to day sleeping and you know sleep hygiene is really critical. I think that you know one of the things that I've come to find out is that the influence of uh, you know radiation and EMF is is certainly something that's not talked about enough. And we had a, a, a house evaluation, and it turned out that the amount of <laughs> radiation coming from one appliance in my house was so much that we kind of, we shut the Wi-Fi off at night. Uh, we removed the uh, microwave. We did all these extraneous things to ensure that we were doing as much as we can. So sometimes you have to dig a little bit deeper, you know, if it persists, you know, what could be driving cortisol uh, to be waking you up at night, which obviously none of yeah. us want to have. And, and for anyone that's doing intermittent fasting to just reassure everyone that you can successfully intermittent fast and sleep, but if you're not sleeping, you need to figure out why.
0: Yeah. We mentioned toxins. We mentioned blood glucose, you know, mm-hmm. not being fully fat adapted. You mentioned um, light, getting yep. good morning light, mm-hmm. cutting off light um, before bed, mm-hmm. right? Screens of, and that source, which we know has an effect on melatonin, you yep. know, deep sleep period. Um, you mentioned EMF. So I'm just kind of reviewing because you said a lot of things and really important things. (laughs) Turning off your Wi-Fi, really, I mean, it's it's a a simple solution. uh, Going down and just you know hitting the breaker. Uh, You know, obviously uh, that you can mitigate the issues in your room or more. But there's a little bit more knowledge there. But if you hit the breaker, you've got it so the problem with that maybe people would say well my clock doesn't work well you shouldn't you know need the clock anyway That's a whole other other topic Mm -hmm. oh but anyways you can put your phone on airplane mode next to your bed and and then you know this is with an iphone you can set this up to actually go red screen so Mm -hmm. when you turn your phone on if you hit it three times one two three the screen goes red how about that yeah isn't that cool look at that yeah so um, don't ask me uh, now how to do that, Cynthia. Uh, my son did this. So <laughs> if you have a teenager in your house, Yes, I do. You go into um, your settings and go, oh, I'm sure it's under screen or yeah. you know, who knows, but brightness maybe, and you can actually do that. Right? So pretty cool. Um, They're so amazing with technology. My, my kids are always embarrassed. They're like, mom, how do
1: you not know that? I'm like, well... <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, but you know, I mean, because I get it. You know, you even might want to if you have to get up in the middle of the night for something, mm-hmm. right? You might need a, a a light. That red light still works for a little night light, and you can, you know, check the time, whatever. Mm-hmm. But okay, so those are all great. Did I okay, did I miss any of those sleep tips? Because I just kind of reviewed them.
1: I don't I don't think so. I mean, I, I think the next level is, you know, looking at things like um You know muse or brain tap or you know looking at adaptogenic herbs i mean then i start layering uh, other things to really help people but from a from a very basic perspective i think we hit the big ones and i do find that if you work through most of those that will generally get through most of the um you know etiologies for why people are struggling and then the next level up is looking a little bit more deeply you know doing you know testing if that's indicated and you know, um, pulling out appliances. Like I laugh, I have my brain tap sitting on my desk. I'm like, for the hope that I will use it before I go to bed tonight. I'm like, so it's a visual cue to remind me to utilize it, but there's all sorts of technology. So
0: for brain tap, um, there's a couple products like that out there. It's like the, the blinking lights, right? The Auditory component. uh, Like light has that big of an effect on, uh, on the brain. I mean, it does. And therefore it's amazing. Couple, a couple of products that I could just throw out there for people. Uh, there was a product that saved my life when I was six. Seraphos. Um, yeah. Oh, Seraphos is
1: amazing. Yeah,
0: and it, it's S E R I P H O S. People mm-hmm. listening, but you know, it just it tapered down my cortisol. And again, mm-hmm. I had high cortisol from toxins and different things. But mm-hmm. you know, I, it's not like you can remove the toxins in a day, right? So, fact is, is I needed something to help deal with that cortisol. And if I wake, woke up, so I would take like two, you know, three before bed. And If mm-hmm. I woke up, I would take a couple more mm-hmm. and, you know, it would help. And then bind is another great one just because a lot of that cortisol rise in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. as the Chinese call it liver time between two and four. Yeah. A.m., your body dumps toxic bile mm-hmm. at that time through the liver. And it's a very toxic dump if you're toxic. Mm-hmm. And then, boom, your cortisol just goes through the roof. So you have something in there to catch it. It's another little trick. So in some of the herbs that you mentioned, uh, there's a product on here called dream or dram is how they okay. say it. And it has some of the adaptogenic herbs. So, yeah. I know people will ask what the products are and, and Ashley can put some of those in. Do you have any that you would recommend?
1: I, I do. I like L-theanine, which is an amino acid. Yeah. I think that it's because it, yeah. a lot of people that are struggling with that, they, it's the anxiety piece. Um, you know, L-theanine, Rolora is one of the adaptogens that I've gotten really uh, very happy with, good results. I would say you know products like ashwagandha, um has go- has a good uh, profile in terms of yeah, safety correct. and yep and and it's these are pl- a lot of these are plant-based compounds that are designed to be very nourishing. Rolora is mm-hmm. derived from magnolia bark, uh, so you can't get much more natural than that. But th- that seems to be where I'm tapering. I would say a couple people I've had some success with GABA. Um, there's a product by Designs for Health called Farmagaba that I've. Yeah. And happy with. Uh, again, you want to take that at the very end of your feeding window because it does have stevia. So mm-hmm. sometimes when we're talking about supplements, you just want to be mindful of what's in them to ensure that you know it's not a sugar, alcohol, or stevia or something that could mm-hmm. potentially impact your fasting window.
0: Yeah. So what does your intermittent fasting window look like? How do you vary it, change it, being a woman?
1: Well, that's a great question. I think once people are fat adapted, I really encourage them to change things up. So the average day, I probably do two or three 18 sixes during the week.
0: Explain Um, what that is for new people.
1: So it would be an 18 hours fasted with a six hour feeding window. However, I always have one day a week while I'll just do a 24 hour fast. And I always kind of ensure that it's plugged on a day when maybe my my eating window has been a little wider than it is normally. Maybe I got in three meals. Maybe I normally, if it weren't social distancing, maybe I went out to dinner with my my family or with girlfriends. Oh, right. And so, I, you know, I, I really want to just kind of reset my body. Mm-hmm. And then occasionally I'll do one meal a day. Again, it could be a 24-hour fast or one meal a day around a day that I've eaten more than I would normally. And I feel like that just gets me back on track. So yeah. the point I, I want to make is that when someone is fat adapted. I like to see uh, things not being consistently and being rigid. I think that's really important. I think the flexibility piece needs to be stressed. I mean, and some people, they want to do a couple months of of 16 hours fasted with an eight hour feeding window or, you know, some variation like that. And that's completely fine. But I've been doing this for a long time and my body just knows, okay, I ate too much the day before. Doesn't happen very often these days. The following day I'm gonna do something different. And and I our bodies are designed to have a little bit of variety, just like we wouldn't do the same exercise program every day. Right. We want to make sure that we're giving our bodies opportunities to kind of adjust. It's kind of like you got to take an extra step. Okay. Okay. We'll work with that.
0: Yeah. No, and I, I I'm the same as you. I just kind mm-hmm. of take it as I feel it. Mm-hmm. But you know, in my book I talk about starting with a 5-1-1, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. five one one, meaning five days a low carb. And then you have one day where you, eat, you know, fast for 24 hours and then one feast day, right? So mm-hmm. you almost have to plan them. But I I like you, I just kind of go with them, right? There's right. days where I'm not hungry. There's days I'm hungrier and I just can just roll with it. But we've been fat adapted mm-hmm. for a much longer time than most people. So we kind of can trust our innate intelligence on that.
1: Absolutely. And I think it also kind of gets you connected with what true intrinsic hunger really feels like. And that's something that a lot of people have never experienced, or it's been so long since they experienced what it's like to be really hungry that it frightens them. And I just remind them, I'm like, it's very, you know, it's very cyclical. Like, you may get a hunger, you know, grumble at 7 a.m., but you might not get another one for until nine. And I said, that's the beautiful thing about, you know, green tea or black tea or, or coffee is that it will help suppress those cues. So you can just keep going. I just remind myself if I'm doing a longer fast and I'm getting hungry, I'm like, I must need some green tea. It's time for some green tea. And that's just yeah. kind of the way that I roll.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, the, the, that is a great strategy. And even, you know, anything warm, actually, mm-hmm. that the Chinese used to do just, you know, warm water it's like like, you know that would curb appetite of course add a little bit of salt that curbs it as well Mm -hmm. you know and then green tea and other teas can be um a great thing as well you know Mm -hmm. i always say that you know if something that raises your glucose that can break your fasting window right um you can test it you can test it simply by testing your glucose ahead Mm -hmm. of it and then 30 minutes after just to see some teas for example caffeine related may raise your glucose, Um, and it could be for other reasons as well, but it's always a good idea to test.
1: I think that's a great point. I keep trying to decide if I'm going to get a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor, just really for data collection, uh, because I'm starting to see a lot of the low-carb crowd that are getting them, and they're enjoying kind of tracking their information, because bio-individuality rules, and so, you know, for a lot of people, coffee, coffee, works really well for them and for someone else it may not it may bump up their cortisol and raise their glucose And so I think that uh, there's value in in getting that validation and and I think most of us once we've been doing this long enough every once in a while like I'll give you an example last week I had a higher carb day and, and I there were some rice noodles which I don't normally eat but I haven't really done grains for several years because it just doesn't agree with me and it actually spikes my blood sugar and so I had them And then I went for a walk a couple hours later and about halfway through my walk, which is normal that I walk in the hilly part of my neighborhood. telling my husband, I was like, I just didn't feel good. And so sure enough, went home, tested my blood sugar. And I was like, the reason why I felt so terrible after eating these noodles, even after the walk, was it spiked my blood sugar, which is not normally what happens to me, but I felt so poorly because I was so attuned to how I felt. But I think it's important, you know, if anyone's curious to know, you know, there's a There's a, you know, Rob Wolf is uh, one of those individuals that has a book called Wired to Eat that I sometimes will recommend to people if they're interested in trying to determine what their carb tolerance is, if they're um, trying to figure out if grains work for them or, you know, other types of carbohydrates. And that can sometimes be very illuminating about um, figuring out your N of one, like what works for me, may be very different for each one
0: of us. Yeah, and glucose is, I mean, look, no matter what you eat, your glucose mm-hmm. is going to rise. Mm-hmm. But the question is, is how high? Right. You know, because if it's going far above 120, mm-hmm. that can be an issue. And how long it takes to come back down. Mm-hmm. You know, if it takes more than two hours to come back down, you've got a problem. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, exactly. Or a problem with what you actually ate. To, yeah. to your Point. Right. So you know, glucose is simple. When people always mm-hmm. say, "Does my coffee work in my fasting window?" My question is always like, "I don't know. Test it." Test your glucose mm-hmm. right before and right after. If it rises up consistently after, then you probably should change something. Mm-hmm. That's so, a great tip. Yeah, yeah. So that you know that that's the hormone connection. Um, really is you know because when people would ask me, well, you know, should women fast? And I would say, well, I was in a cult in a culture in Africa, and the women were fasting. So mm-hmm. it's you know obviously you know this is. You know, not just that culture. This is something that women are able to do. So what's the difference of women in the US and women mm. in other countries that fast? The, the answer has to be around hormones, but then let me ask you a more specific question. What what is it that's creating so many hormone problems in this country? Oh, that's that's
1: a treasure trove of answers. Yeah. I think there's many things. I mean, our westernized culture, it's the food you know, a highly processed, you know, stupid American diet, a little nod to Ben for that Uh, stupid American diet. So highly processed diet, exposure to toxins in our personal care products, environment and food, Uh, the stress, I, I think even if you have, you know, indigenous cultures that are fasting, I'm fairly confident that they rise when the sun comes up and they go to bed when it gets dark. And they, you know, they're not eating all day long. And, you know, they they tend to, to really ascribe to a philosophy of, uh, you know, what our ancestors did. You know, whereas we live in a culture where we're, you know, attached to uh, devices 24 seven, we're accessible, we've got stress that is unmanageable for most people. And, you know, I think it becomes a combination of many, many things that create these hormonal disruptors. You know, it's like I mentioned, it's things that we're exposed to every day it's the stress of our environment. And I, I think that many, many things contribute to this. I, I think when you, when you think about mm-hmm. the highly processed food that we're eating, and we're spiking insulin all day long, that's making us fat. And you know, it's this very toxic, it's like a toxic stew that we are you know, experiencing. So if, if you're eating all day long, and you're not getting enough sleep, and um, your hormones aren't properly balanced because of those two reasons alone. I mean, that's contributory. And then you're infertile because of the toxins you're exposed to and because you're insulin resistant. I mean, it's this very kind of circuitous toxic Mm. stew that we exist in.
0: I agree. Yeah. Do you think that, uh, you know, women today carry a different burden, perhaps more burden than in the past, you know, meaning that, it seems to me, and mm-hmm. I can't—I'm not a woman, so yeah, mm-hmm. that's why I'm asking you the question—that <laughs> <you know, laughs> women have unique stresses today, some of which mm-hmm. are setting their stress bucket over the edge. You know, just with their duties, their roles, mm-hmm. things like—is that true? And what would be some of the changes that would have created this?
1: Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of. Actually, I talked to my grandmother about this. Uh, you know, when she was in her 80s, uh, which was a long time ago, but one of the things that she said was that, you know, she was the World War II generation and, and in her generation, they they did work, uh, even though they had children because that was during the war and that was part of the war effort. Yeah. But she said the difference was they weren't attached to a computer and they mm-hmm. weren't attached to a cell phone and kids ran around outside. So when they were cooking dinner, you know, kids were out of the house and they would make these meals and, you know, women still, you know, had these more traditional roles. But I think what has evolved in our society is that women are expected to have it all. They're expected to get pregnant effortlessly. They are expected to get back to their pre-pregnancy weight seemingly overnight. They're expected to cook these nutritious meals. And they're expected to you know, have these careers slash be a stay-at-home mom. And I, I think there's a lot of intrinsic pressure
0: on each one of us wanting to be you know, kind I of the perfect- joke. I was going to joke and say, and the problem with that is what? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. I, it's a lot. The, the, yeah, you're right. No. I, I agree with you on that, though. I mean, it is true. You, there's
1: so. there's a lot. I mean, when I look at friends of mine that uh, you know, whether they're stay-at-home moms or they have jobs outside the home, uh, it's impossible to get everything done and and also take care of yourself. And so I I think there's there's guilt about uh, advocating for self-care, and there's guilt about saying, you know, I'm going to go to bed early because that's what serves me best. And there's guilt if you're not making the perfect Instagram-worthy birthday party for your kid or the Pinterest-worthy invitations for something. I just think there's a lot of, um, there's just a lot of extra pressure on women that is unique. And, you know, through no fault of our own, I I don't think it was intentional. You know, my mom's generation was part of that first wave of feminism, and so you know, yeah. those women went out there and, and did a lot for, um, you know, it, trying to try to deal with some gender disparities, if you will, uh, not trying to be political. But I, I think there's just there's just a lot of expectations, both societal and then also, you know, social media, I think, is is yeah. making things very hard for women. Women think what they
0: see is normal and it's been photoshopped. or Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. yeah I mean. In many ways, uh, you know, this, this that could go in a whole nother direction. But, you know, mm-hmm. one of the things I saw when I was in, in Africa mm-hmm. was uh, the community uh, was so different, meaning that the women, the men would go off hunting, the women were there, and you could tell they all mm-hmm. support each other. So yes. it wasn't like this one woman raising her three, four kids. Right. It was her with this person, with that mm-hmm. person. And there was a community that supported the raising of all the kids.
1: Yeah, uh, there is it a saying
0: a yeah, that you know it it takes, takes a village a, to raise a child, right? It's like so, but yeah. yet that's not what's happening today, right? right? You know, be you know, we're very individualized in our life. We don't have that community. So yeah. and I
1: and I think I think it's yes, you know, you you grow up in one area and then you move away, and then unless you have a strong sense of yeah. you know family, you know, support, um, that can make things so much harder. Time. You know, it's interesting. I was telling someone the other day that uh, I have I have all boys and so we've had a lot of ER visits. Uh, and my youngest, when he was two, had a fall out of a second story window. Huh. And so, you know, in the middle of the night with a husband who's out of the country, having to call girlfriends to come get my oldest so that I could be in the hospital with the little guy and trying to explain to people, I said, you know, it really does take a village, you know, remarking about your, your strong sense of community for women but when women do have that support from other women, that makes the difference. It really, really does. Yeah. Uh, and then they don't feel quite so alone, or you know, kind of sequestered or unsupported. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a very much like men. Men need guy time, and women need yeah. girl time. Uh, but it's it's hard for other um, as wonderful as as you know spouses can be, sometimes it really does take another woman to understand what the pressures that, that certain women may be experiencing. So I agree with that. That's a great observation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and men oftentimes have their work scenario. They get away too, right? And it, that's, you know, that, that's hard, uh, you know? So yeah, I mean, I, I just see that women do have unique stresses today that carry on. And, and to bring this whole conversation full circle, that affects cortisol. That affects mm-hmm. sleep, ultimately. That mm-hmm. affects hormones, ultimately. Oh, yeah. And, and again, I always say hormones is the real reason why people struggle to lose weight or have mm-hmm. weight loss resistance, right? So, you know, but you look upstream and you see all these factors that we were just talk- discussing.
1: So no, it really can be hugely problematic. And, and I always say weight gain is a symptom of, of an issue. It's not the weight gain is the yeah. issue. Some other, weight gain is the side effect to mm-hmm. what's going on, whether it's inflammation, toxins, et cetera. And that's really what uh, requires the digging detective work.
0: So, you know, despite our efforts, not just you and I, Cynthia, but uh, almost everyone in our community, and, you know, we, we've talked about calories, you mm-hmm. know, being not the way to lose weight. Low-fat diets, Mm -hmm. you know, but yet still, you know, our government, um, Mm -hmm. social media, Mm -hmm. media in general, right? I mean, you could turn on any morning show, Mm -hmm. and there's going to be a something, a recipe for low calories, low fat, right? And you know, exercising more. So the message is still we're gluttonous, we don't exercise enough, Mm -hmm. and we are absolutely, you know, or I should say we're gluttonous, we we eat too much. Right. We're lazy. We don't exercise enough. Mm-hmm. You know, what? how do we change that? I mean, honestly, and I, I would even lump low fat into that yeah. to where, you know, it's still a low fat, low calorie recipe if you watch any morning show. And yet it's not the reality. We even impacted this at all?
1: (laughs) I I think the tide is changing. I do believe that there are more and more healthcare providers like ourselves that are using uh, this as a platform to really help change the narrative. That's really what it's about. This dogma, I think we're at least 20 years behind, you know, the dogma. Every time I do a post talking about SECO, calories in, calories out, being dead, I have trolls that come from every direction because it really challenges people's belief system and I yeah. just remind people, I'm like, listen, I haven't counted a calorie in five years and, I, and I only did five years ago as an experiment, uh, but I don't believe in doing that. I said, if once you have gotten to a point where um, you are comfortable enough with your feeding fasting window and you respond appropriately, you, your body kind of intrinsically will let you know, I've had enough. I don't, yeah. you know, this um, okay. this emotional eating piece, which I think is unfortunately, Exacerbated by this whole misnomer that breakfast is the most important meal of the day—that it's all about—you know, over-exercising. You have to over-exercise every time you eat too many calories. Um, It just means to this notion that this—you know—this repetitive, pedantic kind of notion and and mindset that you know we have to worry um, about—you know, where our bodies are not keeping score per se you know, it's time for us to get back to eating the way that our ancestors did. Yeah. I'm yeah. quite confident that 200 years ago, there wasn't a hostess Twinkie that people got out of a vending machine and they looked at it and said, okay, this is 450 calories. And therefore I know what I need to do to burn this off. I mean, that just isn't the way that our bodies are designed to function. So, yeah, you know, it's still the message <laughs> It it is. And so, yes, there needs to be more, Open-minded individuals that are are doing, you know, government regulations. I mean, unfortunately, uh, I, I don't see the USDA making any any significant changes in the near future. But I did actually read recently. I think the A was it the AHA, um, one of the one of the American Heart Association, one of the major associations was saying, okay, maybe saturated fat isn't that bad. And I was like, okay, that's a start. That you know, start. it mm-hmm. granted it's twenty years plus. 30, 40 years, um, you know, that they've been propagating that, that fat is bad, but, you know, slowly but surely. But I, I think it really re- it requires people to think outside the box. I, I use the term, I don't like people to be sheeple. It's like, you know, I ask a lot of questions. I probably irritate people because I ask a lot of questions. But, you know, if I still believed in the prevailing old antiquated dogma, uh, I, I wouldn't be here today. Uh, I just got tired of writing prescriptions. And, and you know, mm-hmm. some of us just have to get fed up enough that we just say there has to be a better way. And and it all starts with food. I always say that's my kind of standard mantra. It all starts with the food that we're eating.
0: You know, and unfortunately, the, the guilt that the, that message lays on us, we, mm-hmm. you know, so many people, it's like they, they failed because they couldn't, control their appetite Mm -hmm. well the reason they thought they couldn't control their appetite is because the message is eat less so none of us could eat half of our meal and push it away you know bad things happen right eventually Mm -hmm. we fail no matter what because our body wants to survive or Mm -hmm. we start eating our own muscle because our body wants to survive either way it's a lose when you try to caloric restrict and you know this from my book my message is don't eat less eat less often Right. right? When well, we, you know, that's the key is when I eat, I eat to full, but I just yeah. do it less often. At the end of the day, I promise you, Cynthia, we do eat less, but mm-hmm. we're, don't, we're not pushing calories away. So right. it's a completely different hormone shift, you know, and one for survival and, and one that's just easy.
1: Well, and I think, you know, the big thing is when you're satiated and that's something that I teach my patients, when you're satiated, it's a completely different yeah. connection with your food. And I I was jokingly telling someone the other day, because my father, who's in his 70s, was horrified that he's like, I can't believe how many eggs you eat a week and how much bacon. And I said, but dad, you know, here's the thing, I'm so satiated, I don't even think about eating again until four or five hours later. And I said, that's a distinction. Like if you get up in the morning and he's a, you know, kind of a frail 70 plus year old guy, I would say if the first thing you eat is you're eating fruit and you're eating a muffin, you're eating an English muffin, I said, all you're doing all day long is your blood sugar is going up and down like this he was trying to figure out why he was having energy issues. And I reminded him, I said, if you got up, even if you had a piece of bacon or you had an egg, you would be so much better off, you know, keeping your insulin from spiking throughout the day that you wouldn't deal with those energy slumps. You would have
0: plenty of energy. By the way, when your body's burning its own fat, you don't have insulin and glucose spikes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it knows yeah. exactly what it's doing. You know, what, what's your thought on this? Um, there's different takes. Uh, to eating first thing in the morning or waiting it out a little bit, right? So are you an early day person, eater, or a later day person? What's your thoughts?
1: I would thoughts? say a, a midday person. I, I just find I'm not hungry when I get up you know, uh, for the first right. several hours. And actually, my 12-year-old, This since we've been socially distanced and he's been home, he doesn't eat breakfast until ten or eleven o'clock, and he was concerned because he had heard me say children shouldn't intermittent fast. I said, "You're not intermittent fasting. You're just listening to your body, and you probably oh. ate at eight o'clock at night. You probably had your second dinner, and you're really not going that long." So, you know, to respond to the question, I, you know, for me personally, I, I I'm not even hungry until ten or eleven o'clock in the yeah, morning. Yeah,
0: you know, and I and I've heard, you know, and I love uh, Dr. Fung. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but he talks about people eating earlier. Even Walter Longo talks about people mm-hmm. eating earlier. But you know, I myself, I'm not hungry. Mm-hmm. I, I'm healthy. My children, they don't eat. I don't have a child that gets up in the morning and eats, right? Yeah. So, you know, and there is the the cortisol effect in the morning, meaning mm-hmm. your cortisol rises. They call it the right. dawn effect, and your glucose yeah. rises. So, right. isn't that glucose rise just it, that's of why we're not hungry, right? I mean, so yeah, I'm I'm not sure that I agree with the morning eating, even for diabetics. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I I mean, if we we think physiologically, why that happened is because we were going, well, maybe the men were going out to hunt or look for food. So it was, you know, physiologically made sense. I find that most of the people that I'm working with that are intermittent fasting, they prefer not eating. Yeah. They, they like to push it to later in the morning.
0: By the way, the tribe that I saw, they got up and they went out all day. They didn't eat yeah. in the morning. They yeah. didn't not eat, so they got up, went before dawn and mm-hmm. then they came back late afternoon. So they weren't eating. They came back and ate, you know, one well, probably like a 3-hour meal, very long mm-hmm. meals, but it was still one meal. Yeah, that's <laughs> amazing. Like Yeah, so I mean, yeah, I I think that there's different thoughts about that. And, um, you know, whether you skip breakfast or skip dinner, but I guess it really depends on what time your dinner is and what time your lunch, you know, your breakfast is. But eating first thing, I just, I think that the body's meant to survive on that glucose that rises up with cortisol.
1: Well, it makes me laugh because for so many years I would get up, I would go to this like hardcore conditioning class at my gym and I would drink a protein shake going there and I'd drink a protein shake coming home and then I'd have a meal before I got to the hospital. And it, you know, I was still thin, but it's, it's unbelievable when I think about, I mean, I was just eating these small little meals all day long and I'm like,
0: well, yeah. that's what we thought was best, honestly. I, yeah. Until I went and spent time with that the tribe in Africa, I, I really didn't see anything different than that. I, mm-hmm. Until then, I was like, "Boy, you know," that just started me questioning it. Mm-hmm. You know, it got me to you know research it further. You know, to realize, gosh, you know, maybe this is bad because you know when you look at studies, you know, really the pe- people who eat less live longer, but it's not just eating less; it's eating less by eating less often. Right. <laughs> right. right. You know because yeah you know, that's it. If you're eating all the time, the energy you know mm-hmm. that it takes to deal with that food constantly, and we're not allowing our body to burn its own stored fat so although you were skinny, right you fact was is you probably had a lot of organ fat, oh and, yeah, you know, visceral fat and and like I said, we're you know actually creating health problems
1: yeah absolutely, and you know the perfect storm and for women that are listening is you know, those perimenopause years, you know, five to seven years before women go through menopause, the game changes, you know, we're much okay. more prone to insulin resistance, even if you're thin. And I tell people that's when women sometimes will get stuck and that's when we really have to dial in on all the, the things that we've alluded to, you know, the sleep, the self-care, the nutritional choices. That's when I find people, you know, start becoming a little more receptive to making those changes.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. Well, you know, I, and that was kind of going to be my last question is, you know, paramenopause, menopause, you know, just advice for women who are going through that right now, because mm-hmm. as we pointed out, hormones are, the, are really the answer and the problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that is, I mean, the healthiest women, no matter what, are mm-hmm. going to go through hormone chains. It's normal, yeah. you know, advice.
1: Um, I would start with the food piece. If you are not already really focusing on protein and healthy fats, that's critical. I just remind women that in perimenopause and menopause, all of a sudden the game shifts. You can't just eat copious amounts of carbs. You can't just eat all the wine and and the chocolate cake that you want. So if you focus on protein and healthy fats to keep your blood sugar stable, that's critical. that's number one. Uh, I would say that this is not the time to be overexercising. All of a sudden people go from, Wanting to do really strenuous exercise like they had been doing, all of a sudden realizing they just feel burned out. Yeah, and perfect. so you know, I remind women that um, this is a time to do. Make sure you're doing some strength training. Making sure you're doing some restorative practices like yoga, walking. Really critical. This is when sleep becomes absolutely paramount, uh, as well as you know, kind of looking and dialing in on the stress piece, like I've alluded to. But I would say you know. And, and a time to think about intermittent fasting. I know that scares a lot of people to, to consider doing it, but I really do believe that if women are able to capture that strategy in perimenopause, and then their transition into menopause will be that much easier. The women that uh, really struggle with perimenopause and go into menopause just being miserable, they're having hot flashes, they can't sleep, they've gained 50 pounds, they crave you know, sugar because their, their bodies are just looking for a quick source of fuel they're the ones that could use the, the, that advice the most. So sometimes bad habits from our 20s and 30s need to be rectified. The other thing that I always like to remind people is you know, the, the most inflammatory foods are things like gluten, grains, dairy, oh, processed yeah. sugars. Yeah. And this is the time to clean it up. It may not be that everyone that's listening is sensitive to all of those foods, but I find uh, it can really be uh, instrumental. I know for myself, I kicked out gluten at 40 uh, grains and, and dairy a few years later made a huge difference. I jokingly- and By the way,
0: the, the no grain is a, a way big step better than just gluten-free. Number one, yep. so many gluten-free products are super sugars mm-hmm. and even worse. Mm-hmm. Number two, there's a lot of proteins that people react to beyond gluten. Mm-hmm. And just what I find is taking grains out, period, seemed to have yep. the most anti-inflammatory effect.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's those subtle changes that really have a lot to do with it. I I do find that alcohol, if people have been really leaning on alcohol as a stress reduction strategy, all of a sudden it really dysregulates their blood sugar. And so they they just don't tolerate, uh, you know, they can't have more than a glass of wine or more than one drink. And all of a sudden they're having hot flashes and not sleeping. So that's where I would probably start. Those are the things that if you can master that. You will definitely have a much easier
0: transition into menopause. Um, I couldn't agree more, and you know, I want to highlight something that you just brushed over, and that's resistive training. Mm-hmm. I think resistive training around that time is more important because bones are remodeling. Mm-hmm. It really you you get a hormone optimization that occurs yeah. with resistive training. So shift more from cardio to resistive. Mm-hmm. I think it plays better, especially in yeah. that time. So. and
1: if you and if you look at the data on uh, you know muscle being the organ of longevity I mean the more muscle mass we have both men and women the less likely we are to be obese have diabetes have all these metabolic disorders so I, I remind people sometimes they freak out they're like I don't want to get big well women cannot get you know as big as men it's just it's physiologically impossible but I remind people like the muscle that you keep on your body is going to help you burn you know, more have more thermogenic burn. You're going to burn That's more over. calories, and you're going to do it when you're not even doing anything. So
0: Absolutely. there's and a and lot creates, of bang for the buck. It, and it creates a hormone optimization mm-hmm. when you're not doing anything, right? You know, and when you resistive train, you may not burn fat while you're doing it, mm-hmm. but for 36 hours, your body's actually burning more fat and hormonally mm-hmm. optimizing. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, the problem is social media once again because. They see these women and they're like, I don't want to look like that. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, they they didn't just lift weights to get that way. (laughs) There's a lot of hormones getting that way. Yeah, Yeah. even even today, like, you know, even like the, not the bodybuilder women, but the bathing suit women, I don't even Mm -hmm. know what you call it, but they too are taking hormones. So it's not, you're not going to look that way, but you are going to help regulate your hormones by adding some resistive training in. Absolutely. Well, it's a great, great, uh, great talk. I, I mean, I, I think every woman needs to share this one with every woman and friend they have because, you know, these are the topics of the mm-hmm. day. These are the, I mean, this is the the advice that if you just did half of what Cynthia just said, yeah. you, your life's going to change. Yeah. So do it. Well, thank you. Uh, wealth of knowledge on the subject. I loved it.
1: Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure to connect with you.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. We'll have you on again. Thanks. That's good. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, which was brought to you by Fastonic Molecular Hydrogen. Please check it out at getfastonic.com. We'll be back next week and every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. We truly appreciate your support. You can always find us at cellularhealing.tv. And please remember to spread the love by liking, subscribing, giving an iTunes review, or sharing the show with anyone who may benefit from the information heard here. And as always, thanks for listening.